Kevin Bowen here. Don't forget to listen to The Fan now on 93.5 or 107.5 FM. And check out our latest coverage online at 1075thefan.com. Hey, we've got a football game to talk about. Uh, we're back, Kevin's Corner, here on Monday, August 15th. I think we'll keep this Monday routine going here for the next couple of weeks with the Colts playing on Saturdays. It's easy to just come back on Monday morning and recap the game. I've got Eddie Garrison in studio with me. Eddie producing the Colts uh, pregame and postgame this year. So a lot of you obviously tune into that. Eddie is a huge, huge part of that. So I'll break down that game and uh, set up the Colts schedule for the second to last week at Grand Park. Off on Monday, a short practice Tuesday, joint sessions Wednesday and Thursday with the Lions. Next week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday practices. And that is it. Eddie, good Monday morning to you. Fresh off a move-in down in <laughs> Bloomington, correct? Yeah, uh, just moved my sister in down in IU uh, on Sunday with my parents and my brother and my girlfriend. So I am freshly uh, off a nice workout from yesterday. Boom. Got some nice rest. And uh, I just have a quick question. You opened the show in like a, or the pod, I should say, and you almost said Kevin and Query, didn't you? I did. How Gosh, often does that happen? Did you catch me on that? I did. Yeah, How yeah, often yeah. does that happen? Um, it happens a lot. I'm like, God, I have a frog in my throat. And I just said that. Yes, it does happen. <laughs> a good amount. So thank you for catching me on that. And um, Bloomington uh, dinner or lunch recommendations, send to Eddie Garrison. Go ahead and plug your uh, plug your uh, Twitter. That's at Eddie Garrison underscore. And you can do that for my sister as well because the only places we've ever gone to down there are Buffaloes and Mother Bears. And Mother Bears, I don't know if you need to go anywhere else, right. honestly. Uh, I do love the Village Deli. Um, that is a place that I would definitely stop at um, for sure. All right, let's uh, get into Saturday's preseason opener against Buffalo. The Bills went on a walk-off. Sorry if you had Colts money line, um, or I guess the under, the over hit big time, right? It was like a 35 was the over-under, I think, on that. Uh, and I want to make this really clear, Eddie. I'm only going to say it once on the podcast, but everyone can revert to this part of the podcast throughout if they need a reminder. It's the preseason. We saw the starters play for a quarter, a quarter plus. What I try to look for are trends. Have we seen things that have repeated themselves from Grand Park into the game? Have we seen things change? That's, I think, what you're looking for. I don't give two shits about the score. I mean, I did, Tyler Bass, whoop-de-doo, you know. Uh, whatever. Like I, Someone called into our show this morning. The Colts blew another fourth quarter lead. That's not good. You know, that's going to show. <laughs> I, there's two guys that played in the fourth quarter that will be on this roster in two weeks. So I'm not worried about that whatsoever. But um, we'll break things down. We'll acknowledge the caveats that are with it being the preseason from a game planning scheme standpoint, from a starter backup standpoint, all of those things. Um, but the Colts played a 60-minute football game on Saturday. Oh, for a moment there, I thought, what are the overtime rules again? I was a little nervous. Um, but we'll report on it. We'll talk about it, and we'll break it down. And uh, we got a lot of Twitter questions to get to as well. So let's uh, let's hop into, hop into it. All right, Kevin, what'd you like? Yeah, we usually start off with what I didn't like after a loss, but it's the preseason. I don't care about the results. So let's do start with the positives. I thought the rookie class played pretty well. Um I think the first thing that jumped out at me was Bernard Ryman played every single snap once the starters exited. 
the rest of the game. Bernard Ryman did not leave the field. 48 straight snaps at left tackle. Sure, there are a couple moments he got beat, but overall I was pretty pleased with how Ryman looked. Um, again, there's stuff to work with that you like. Uh, I thought Jelani Woods had a much-needed and really good day. Um, I thought the touchdown catch and that kind of slant-ish over the middle where he dove and caught it, that's a tough ball for a guy 6'7 to go down and get. Those are plays we have not seen at all at Grand Park out of him. Agreed. Um, when I have described Jelani Woods' training camp, I've said, like, this is not egregious mistakes he's making. It's just not as productive as Drew Ogletree. And honestly, what's probably hurt Jelani Woods the most is the fact that Drew Ogletree is in that room, and you would just have two guys in the same draft class, and you watch, they look similar, and then you watch them back-to-back reps. It's so easy to compare the two. You know, Alec Pierce does not have that at whiteout. Nick Cross does not have that at safety. Uh, Bernard Ryman does not have that at tackle. So it's very easy just to compare the two. And Jelani Woods has not been as productive nor as consistent as Ogletree. The drops have been more abundant for Woods than Ogletree. A game happens on Saturday. Woods caught, I think, both of his targets. I think it was just those two. Um, And the touchdown grab, just great job by Ellinger to keep that alive. And then Jelani Woods, again, making a catch in traffic. And Drew Ogletree did have a drop on Saturday. So I thought good work there from Jelani Woods. Nick Cross arguably was the best defensive starter on the field. Uh, nice coverage on both the red zone plays which got the Colts off the field in that situation. That you know that was a poor opening drive. They settled down in the red zone. Cross made a couple good plays and then he made a play, I think a tackle for loss. Might have been with the second team. They might have left him in there. If you saw Rodney McLeod subbed in on the second series, he had the interception. Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, that 50-50 split we continue to see, although Nick Cross did get the start. Um, and then Alec Pierce, you know, I thought it should have been a flag on Kair Elam on the um, third down. I thought yeah. he illegal hands to the face right off the snap. You know, that probably kind of set the tone for that entire rep. Like, Elam always had the advantage there. You would have liked to have seen Pierce recover and, and make a play there. I love that Matt Ryan threw him the ball. Again, you want to see him get those opportunities, Elam being a first-round pick. Um, he came back and made another, a couple nice plays with the second team. Um, but that's kind of what we've seen from Pierce is pretty much what you saw on Saturday. You know, with the starters, just quiet. Yeah. Just not a lot of targets. I mean, he didn't have one target on Saturday, and I get it. They only were out there for 20 snaps. It's not like Pierce is going to be you know, targeted five or six times. Uh, but overall, Eddie, I thought it was a good day for the rookies. I did too. Um, I thought it was an overall good day for the tight ends in general. Drew Ogletree had that touchdown that got called back. I yep. thought he looked good. You know, he muscled through a couple defenders. He did have one drop, but he came back and, yeah, and, yeah. and made a play. Yeah, he did make a play, although it doesn't count in the final stat sheet. But right. you still have to play it out live because you didn't know what the penalty was at the time. So I did like the play there from Drew Ogletree. I thought Sam Ellinger looked really sharp he was decisive he knew when to get out of the pocket his his pocket awareness was really good he uh, had a couple of nice rushing attempts with his legs um and then i i know it, he only had three targets and two catches but i thought Pittman looked really good yeah i, I thought you're gonna mention kylan granson as the other tight end that, yeah yeah who i thought had some moments uh there was a fourth down play which we'll get to i didn't love the colts going forward on that fourth down uh, that Granson made a nice run after catch, and that's kind of what Granson can bring. You know, he's not going to bring the six seven climb the ladder sort of thing. He can bring something a little post catch with a linebacker on him. Right. And I thought Granson. I think Granson's had a really nice last seven days 
uh, maybe a little bit longer. Maybe I should go kind of the last 10 days. But I thought Granson uh, played well. So, yeah, the, the the tight ends, for as unproven as they are and all of that, again, Ogletree a little up and down, but Woods and Granson I thought had really good days. Uh, the other group that I'll label in the what I like category is you do love to see the defense taking the ball away like they did. Now, did Buffalo gift them a couple? Sure. But without Shaquille Leonard, I think you're just naturally curious, do you still have that turnover mindset? Do you still have that big kind of, we're going to go get the football mindset? And they did a nice job with that. Again, the opening drive, a little undisciplined, a little shaky. It it just kind of looked like a first drive of just a bunch (laughs) of antsy dudes out there that are looking to uh, make a play. Uh, But then they settled down in the red zone. Obviously, defensively, you have to acknowledge the Colts had 10 starters out there. Buffalo had zero starters out there. So I would hope the defense would control it like they did. Again, shaky start, um, but I thought led by Nick Cross, they did a good job of finishing drives um, and and making some plays. The D-line, I think it was only nine snaps for the starting D-line. Linebackers and and DBs played a little bit longer there, Um, but I thought just... You know whether it was an Isaiah Rogers pick, uh, was it Sterling Weatherford had the pick in the second half as well. They better have given that forced fumble to Bobby O'Karake. He forced it. Julian Blackman was just a hair late on that. Um, They gave it to Julian. Did they? I saw and uh, Klein had the other. Uh, And then Cameron Klein, who's a guy that we've talked about as a guy that's flashed a little bit. Ninety-two. He's not a speed speed rusher. He made a really nice move uh, coming off their backup right tackle. And I was able to get a strip sack there. So, you know, I, I do think turnovers can kind of come and go. Uh, but I thought it was important just to kind of, you know, cement that mindset and continue, um, try and continue that trend moving forward here into 2022. I thought the linebackers in general played well. Sterling Leatherford, uh, Skalski, Okereke, Zaire Franklin. I thought they all played well um, with Darius – or not Darius – Shaq Leonard out of the game. I thought there was a couple guys that proved themselves. I think Sterling Weatherford is trying to make that case to make that roster. I don't know if he's on your final 53, but yeah, uh, he's somebody that you know could make it because he plays special teams. Same with Skalski. Um, so those are two guys that I liked. I thought Curtis Brooks had some really nice get off the line of scrimmage moments. Yeah, he did. He did have a couple of those. Um, and I know Chris Ballard loves, loves to look at that kind of stuff, so that's kind of where my eyes were in some of the action I was able to see. Um, yeah, JoJo Doman, I'll throw in there. He's a guy I've put on the 53-man roster throughout, number 57. I think you could have room for another undrafted linebacker, and that would be Weatherford or Skalski or, you know, Forrest Ryan's been a little banged up. Um, the guy who I thought flashed on special teams uh, was 43 Trevor Denbo. Mm-hmm. Undrafted, I think SMU. So you know, Jim Mercer loves him. The SMU connection there. <laughs> um, but yeah, I thought he made a couple plays. And you know, when you think about special teams, Eddie. We probably don't think of it top of mind. No George Odom, no Matt Adams, mm-hmm. no Jordan Glasgow. If Ashton Doolin is needed to play a bigger role on offense, you might have to limit his special teams reps. So I think finding some core special teamers is something um, to keep an eye on. All right, what did I throw at you for what I didn't like? What was my first thing there? Starting offense. Yeah, I thought super blah, which I think I tweeted that, and Shaquille Leonard was quick to fire one back at me there, so good to see Shaquille alive and well. On Second time you got dunked on, man. I, well, Quint Nelson last week, and, and again, I, I'm thinking to Shaquille, I'm like, I don't, I'm pretty sure I 
don't think I got dunked on. Was the offense not blah, man? Um, anyways, <laughs> uh, four drives for the offense, two first downs. And, Eddie, insert caveat here of what I said 10 minutes ago about the preseason. But if I'm evaluating the first-team Colts offense against the second-team Bills defense, it was a pretty pitiful performance out of the starting offense. Um, obviously, no game plan, no scheme. I don't need to repeat myself throughout the podcast. But I think in general, you would just like to see your pro bowlers control the line of scrimmage. That didn't happen. I mean, you had three penalties up front. Um, Hines, you know, some of it's Hines' running style, but it's not like you established the ground game. Like, they had a third and goal to two. Your one offensive line against their two defensive line, pound it in. You know, that should be just you move guys on the D-line and you're able to get in. You don't get in. Then you get in a fourth and goal situation. Again, you should win and Braden Smith false start. Just, yeah. Again, first quarter preseason rust, whatever. But those are guys that you need to rely on, and they got beat by the, the Bills' second teamers. Uh, I thought Matt Ryan was on target. You know, I the, the 10 pass attempts, I felt like, he threw catchable balls, a lot of them, if not all of them, frankly. Um, but the continued worry is there about your wide receivers and just creating separation. Um, and obviously you're not scheming things up to get them open from crossers and mesh and, and stacks and, and those sorts of things. But the worry I think we've had for a long, long time is do you have enough individual talent to make plays in that room? And I don't know if you do, because as much as the Colts weren't scheming or game planning, neither were the Bills. And I feel like we kind of forget about that. It's like when good things happen in the in the preseason, it's great. When bad things happen, we just insert excuse after the bad thing. Like good things can be really good, and bad things can be really bad. Yeah. And I think as much as we sit here and say, well, the Colts didn't scheme things up. If you're playing the Bills week one, they're going to put Tredavious White and have safety over the top of wherever Michael Pittman goes. Mm-hmm. You know, defenses are going to scheme to take away Pittman. Uh, and I think that is the concern for me moving forward is just the trend we've seen with wide out. Unproven was the name of the game with wide out in the offseason. You get into training camp when the full pads come on, the passing offense regresses. We see drops. The timing isn't there. And then on Saturday, when you would like your individual talent to win, your your first and second round picks, Pittman, Pierce, Campbell, you'd like for them to win against the Bills' backups. Um, they do not win in those situations. So, um, yes, first quarter of the preseason, but nothing I've seen from the wideouts in camp and now one game of the preseason makes me think any better about the group than I have throughout this offseason. And your presumptive starter at tight end, Mo Alley-Cox, didn't have a single target. That, I think really? that was, Yeah, Mo didn't have one single target. He had Pittman, he received three. Pierce received three. Uh, Paris got two. QT got one. Dueling got one. A bunch of um, randos got the rest. Hines got two. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Granson had a catch with Matt Ryan. Um, and, you know, Campbell had the drop on third. Why didn't we get more replays, by the way? I'm like, hello, can I get some replays here? Like, uh, the, the fourth down ball that uh, Ryan threw on the Bills' sideline. To Paris? Yeah, I'm like, did Paris get his hands on that? You know, I, I would like to have seen another look at that one. Um, Mayte said on the radio call that was because he didn't have enough feet down. He said he caught it, but he didn't get a second foot down. Okay. Well, again, would have loved to have seen that. Obviously, Matt Taylor in the building, which helps things out there. Um, I think something to keep an eye on now, Eddie, moving forward is wideout-wise is – the timeline 
you know, you're not going to play your starters this Saturday against the Lions. The joint practices are going to be huge. I mean, people keep on saying that, you know, Wednesday and Thursday. You know, let's say your wideouts look poor in the joint practices. Do you make a move then? I mean, I get it. The guys out there are not very promising. Mm-hmm. Welcome to reality of mid-August acquisitions. And that, I think, is the issue that I've had all year long, is that the opportunity to try and bolster that position, the best opportunity to do that is back in the spring. Now you're getting the scraps of the scraps or veterans that are very picky in what they want this time of year. Um, Did you catch Cole Beasley's comments on Twitter? Uh, Well, boy, Cole Beasley on Twitter can be interesting. Um, He said something about uh, which team should I go to to win a Super Bowl. Somebody replied and said Colts. He said, I would, but they haven't reached out. Interesting. Um, You know, Cole Beasley related, obviously a very good slot wide out. Um, If Chris Boward had an issue with, I I don't know if Chris Boward or the Colts organization still has issues with players and vaccination statuses, but wasn't Cole Beasley pretty outspoken? Yes. Against that last season, yeah. Um, again, I don't personally. I don't think they should. That that, that should matter. But that's just me speaking here. Um, yeah, Cole Beasley, Emmanuel Sanders, Will Fuller, T.Y. Hilton. Yeah, I mean, it's you can pick holes into any of those four guys. Yeah, certainly. Um, but yeah, I thought the wideout play, just the passing offense in general, outside of Matt Ryan's accuracy, I thought was very poor. Um, I guess, what else? Did I have kicking? Did I have kicking on? battle is officially over. Yeah, before we get to the kicking battle being over, I do love the approach Frank Reich had. Um, I spilled the donut on my laptop, so I'm currently trying to lick off the icing. Um, don't mind me. Um, gosh, it's really on there, Kevin. <laughs> nice job. 20 starters played, Eddie. 20 starters for the Colts play. Shaquille Leonard, Jonathan Taylor, only to the Denon. I mean, mm-hmm. the Bills didn't throw a single starter out there. And again, I love that approach from Frank Reich. The st- I mean, leaving that starting offense there into the second quarter, you can't tell me that's because he wasn't a little unhappy with what he saw those first three drives out of the offense. You had four drives of the offense and you got two first downs. Yeesh. You know, I, I, I again, I get you're not game planning, but it's not like the Bills are game planning either. Your starters against their backups, I expect more production there. So I think that was disappointing. I don't know about you, but I was surprised that they didn't get Paris involved from like the get go. Like Casey Valley and I were talking during the game, it's like I'm really surprised they didn't try and get Paris the ball early in the game. Yeah, he had the he had the two targets, right? The third and the fourth down. Yeah, and that was it. Yeah. And again, I mean, some of the stuff that you're, you know, one of the Colts' bread and butter plays. I think they did run on that third and long when they ran the screen to Pittman. Yeah, just picked up the, the first down. That Seventeen is, yards. Yeah, yeah, that is one of the kind of go tos they have because Pittman is so hard to tackle in the open field. I thought he was going to get the first down. So I think that set up the Granson uh, twenty-three yarder. That's when they went for it. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, on that note, let's get into, um, kicking. If you're in the Blankenship family, you are thrilled on this Monday morning. Jake Verity misses an extra point. Um, Eddie, I might be too harsh with this. I think it's a fatal blow to his chances in trying to win the kicking battle. The Colts were 10 practices in at Grand Park. The kickers have kicked three days. So extrapolate that out. You kick once every three days pretty much. Yeah. The Colts have six practices left in training camp. That means those two kickers will kick two more times at Grand Park. You have two preseason games left. 
So two plus two, two practices, two games. That would leave four times for the kickers to go head-to-head. Way to use that IU degree. Thank you. I I appreciate that. Uh, (laughs) To go head-to-head the rest of the offseason before final cuts. And I thought coming into camp, Verity would have to outkick Blankenship probably four to five times for him to win the battle. I think he's outkicked him once, and Blankenship has outkicked him twice, including a game which carries more weight, and that would be Verity missing the extra point. So I say all of that to say Hot Rod will keep his job in this battle. I think the kicking battle is over for these two guys. Now the question becomes, do you get too late in August? Do you scour the waiver wire for any other kicker out there? Mm -hmm. And again... I said this on our morning show today. If I knew the 31 other kicking situations in the league, I don't think Maddie would be married to me much longer. <laughs> uh, so I'm not going to pretend to know. But, you know, is the backup to Justin Tucker or Matt Gay or Matt Prater or insert other good kickers in the league, Daniel Carlson, are the backups to those kickers, Harrison Bucker, are those guys good? Do they mm-hmm. even have backups? I mean, mm-hmm. Tyler Bass kicked the whole game, I think, before mm-hmm. Buffalo. He did. Um, so that's where I think you would look into potentially adding another kicker. Now, I brought up the fourth downs earlier. I, I don't get this line of thinking. I went through the box score and double-checked this today, Eddie. The Colts in the second quarter, and just to refresh everybody, the Colts' plan with their kickers entering this game was Hot Rod to kick in the first half, Verity to kick in the second half. That's how they approached it. In the first half, second quarter, you had a fourth and eight and a fourth and one, both from the 38-yard line. The Colts get into that situation, and I'm thinking, whoa, this is beautiful. A fourth down from the 38. It used to be you would take the yard line number, you add 17 yards. I feel like now you add 18 yards yeah. with most NFL kickers. So I'm doing the math in my head. I'm like 38 plus 18, again, your degree on display here, 56 yards. I'm like, this is Gold. These are opportunities you can't script. It's beautiful when you encounter one. Trot out Hot Rod and get your live kicking operation at a distance that Hot Rod has questions on. Yep. And lo and behold, Frank Reich, the old riverboat gambler, he goes for it the first time on fourth down from the 38-yard line, and then he does it again. Why do I need to see Nick Foles and the second-team offense go for it on two fourth downs? Did Foles really go for it on fourth? I thought it was Matt Ryan both times. Let me double check. I looked it up this morning. All right, second quarter here. Fourth and one. I got Phillip Lindsay up the gut for four yards. Okay. And that was at eight minutes to go in the second quarter. And then I've got fourth and eight with 224 to go in the second quarter. And I've got Nick Foles to Kylan Granson. Okay, I couldn't remember. Ryan went for it on fourth downs, but those yeah. aren't the ones that I'm specifically talking right, about. Right, right, right. Uh, the Paris Campbell one was at the 49-yard line. Um, and, of course, the other fourth down is when you kick the um, is when you kick the field goal early on, blanket shift mm-hmm. from 24. Um, the other fourth down was from Buffalo's 43. That would have been a 61-yarder. I, you know, I'm not going to get too crazy with the whole <laughs> kicking thing. But I'm just thinking to myself, this is... Here we go. 56 yards. This is perfect. and It's preseason. What the hell? Yeah, I I don't get it at all. And again, you can look at it glass half full. You can look at it and say, 
Okay, let's trot Hot Rod out there. If he makes that, that is great for his confidence. You think about Hot Rod, 56-yarder outdoors in a, in a stadium in which he missed probably the biggest kick in his NFL career when he missed that mm-hmm. playoff kick off the upright. Um, glass half empty, of course, would be if he misses it. That's not good for Hot Rod's psyche, but it gives you a better look at, all right, you know, this is a game rep, this is a live rep. He's struggling with this. We need to continue to scour that market. So I don't – again, Philip Lindsay up the gut on fourth and one. Right. whoop I can see that. You know, I, I, don't, I don't understand that um, line of thinking there with the uh, kicker battle. I'm probably getting too deep into the weeds with this, um, but – I think kicking really matters in the NFL. I think long-distance kicking is an extreme weapon that if you've got it, it can be huge. Look at the AFC representative in the Super Bowl last season Yeah, um, for that. And, uh, yeah, I, yeah. I guess the only explanation I can think of is a couple of those backup guys like Ryman and like Pinter, they could see some time at least some point this season with the ones. So you put them in that kind of situation. He's like, hey. Sure, but. But it's like, at the same time. I mean, Ryman played 48 snaps. You know, right. Fourth and one run. But, yeah, it, it's a nice thing. But, you know, when Eddie, you, you've been out to Grand Park. Yeah. When they kick, it's not fully live. Nope. You know, when you are doing the run blocking, doing the pass blocking, that's that's live. I mean, that's really yeah. live. Yeah. Um, the kicking is not truly live. The full operation of. You know, Rhodes to Sanchez to hold. You've got, you know, whatever, eight guys in front of you blocking. They've got 11 guys trying to rush you as well. You get that in a game. And again, outdoors. Yeah. So I don't understand that. Great for Hot Rod. I, if that's one of those things. If I would blank and chip, I probably would have not had my helmet near me. So if they would have yelled for me, I'd be like, oh, geez, don't have my helmet. You know, <laughs> sorry, I don't. Verity, have you seen my helmet? You know, Pull a Paul crew. And Verity's probably like, your helmet is right here. I'm handing this to you. I need you to miss this kick. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, we've talked a lot about kicking, and we probably should move on. I guess the one thing I want to say as we wrap this up before Twitter questions is you can't officially, I can't officially say it's over because you never know an injury can happen again. Right. And then you never know. Hot Rod could go out there on Saturday against Detroit and he missed three and then Verity goes out there and nails all four if he gets four opportunities. So like it's gonna take something that drastic. Right. In my opinion, for this to get I, I think we're gonna we'll go to Grand Park tomorrow and Eddie ten practices in, one preseason game in. The battle for the strong safety spot is the only thing I think up for grabs. Mm-hmm. I I guess a little bit of playing time at tight end, a little bit of playing time at wide out. Behind Pittman, of course, behind Moali Cox. Zaire Franklin is ahead of EJ Speed if that's needed for the season to start as of now. Um, so, yeah, Nick Cross and uh, Roddy McLeod. All right, let's get into Twitter questions. Let's this, do it, man. This one comes from the powers that be. So, clearly, we're going to be deficient in some areas, like the wide receiver position. So, what are some other areas we can overachieve in to make that? Uh, to make up for this. I know the easy answer is Taylor, but in reality, we're asking him to replicate a stellar year when everybody is looking for it. Also, the pass rush didn't look that much different to me. What about you? Okay, let's start with the first one. Um, The question says it, but let me reiterate. Jonathan Taylor, Jonathan Taylor, Jonathan effing Taylor. I mean, Eddie, he's going to command so much attention. That is going to provide opportunities for you in the passing game. 
And again, this gets back to the game planning stuff that I was mentioning earlier of like you just don't see that in the preseason. And then the second part, which I guess plays off that, is scheme. You're going to have to win with your mind. And when I say win with your mind, I mean Frank Reich and Matt Ryan. They're going to have to be superior in that department. Um, I think I think part of what I love about the NFL is like the chess match that matters, like scheme and game plan and all that stuff. That matters a ton. But individual talent oftentimes can be a deciding factor when scheme is close, when game plan is close, those sorts of things. And again, that is what um, concerns me. As far as the pass rush, I, you know, the D-line played nine total snaps. The starting D-line played nine total snaps there. I'm not going to get into a, a, a you know a concrete breakdown of it. Again, your, bat, your starters against their backups, maybe a couple of rushes you would like to have seen cause a little bit more pressure. I didn't think there were a lot of rushing opportunities. Um, so, yeah, I'm not going to overreact too much. But, yeah, it was a bit of a quiet pass rush. Not too often you get some news during the pod. Usually yeah. right after. Mike Strawn has been activated or slashed removed, I should say, from the physically unable to perform list. That is large. Um, I'm glad you brought that up. You care if I fire off a tweet here? Go for it. Um, this is big because of the Kiki Kuti injury which I know they're not like the same um, position. Well, body type. That Yeah. Yeah, and I guess position within the position. Um, what, what should I say here? Good news on the wide receiver health department? Uh, how about wide receiver health front? There we go. That sounds better, right? That sounds more like Chris Ballard or Frank Reich. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Strawn had knee surgery back in June. And now your listeners get the thought process behind yeah, what goes out no, behind no, a Kevin no, Bowen no, tweet. I spelling his name. I went on Buffalo Radio last week, Eddie, and they pronounced it Strocken, <laughs> which I think I did early on as well. Uh, six practices left at Grand Park. I thought it was more Strahan, like Michael Strahan at first. I, you know, and I, I think I might have thought that as well. Show something. Uh, yeah, six practices left at Grand Park for... Okay. Um, yeah, just quickly on this front, Kiki Guti getting hurt. What's concerning there is I look at Guti as like Paris Campbell injury insurance. Similar body type, similar roles. And Guti is the Paris Campbell of the Texans. Yeah. Oft injured. I mean, again, we know full well. We've seen his production. He's had much more production, frankly, in the NFL than Campbell has had when playing. Just against the Colts. Yes, yeah, so I was going to say, mainly against the Colts. What I think is concerning about Kuti's injury history is his is more soft tissue stuff. Hamstring yeah. was always nagging him in Houston. So that, I think, is something to watch for groin-wise for him. Again, I know Strawn is not the same exact body type and all those things, um, but he just needs to be out there. I, I don't know who you were texting me. I think you were te- Were you texting me about Desmond Patman? Kind of yeah, quiet. yeah. You know, I, He came he, in after Isaiah Ford. Once you get through those first four wideouts, Eddie, I think it's really, really up in the air right now what you have at a uh, at wideout. Um, did you read me a second question or no? Not yet. Okay, we wrapped up the first one. Uh, so second question is from Zay P. KB, are we sure Eberflus wasn't the defensive coordinator yesterday? From what you've seen in camp with the Colts DBs, press to disrupt timing at the release at all? Yeah. I again, I. CP, you aren't going to show a whole lot defensively. And 
I guess the thing with with Gus Bradley is it, that is an element to his defense I think we'll see some out of, but I don't want people to expect like incredibly exotic. I mean, it's heavy cover three. You know, when you hear people talk about the defense, compare it to other NFL schemes. It is on the simple side without question here. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there were I – mean, I'm trying to think of the big plays that Keenum hit. I mean, one was the bootleg, right, right off the start, just the play action boot. To Shakir? It was, is that the first play of the game? Uh, I believe so. Yeah. I know Khalil Shakir had a nice game. He was somebody I liked coming out of college. Yeah, but- and then um, – uh, 59. Isaiah Hodgins had one for 27, and then... Uh, Zach Moss had that big cutback run. Blackshear had one for 32. Yeah, and I'm trying to just focus on when the starters were in there. Again, he got picked off, then they go three and out, and then he fumbled. Yeah, I mean, when the starters were in there, I don't... I, gosh, I don't see anything from a passing standpoint that was too, too big. Obviously, the scramble, that was the second play of the game. Shakir had the play action. Um, but, yeah, I don't see anything too big. So, I'm not – no. CP, I'm not going to overact. Again, don't expect the most exotic thing you're looking for defensively, but um, I thought the defense was pretty solid once they settled in. Uh, I agree, especially in the red zone. I thought they were really good. Uh, this one comes from Jake. I understand not overreacting to one preseason game, but – is it too much to ask for a guy on the outside that can win without the advantage of scheme? You know, Eddie, Jake uh, sums up my thoughts pretty much right there. That is my concern. You know, Michael Pittman is what? Second round. Alec Pierce, second round. Paris Campbell, second round. These are talented, talented dudes. You would like to think they could win on somewhat of a consistent basis in one-on-one settings against the opponent there. Um, and you're just – and I think Frank Reich and Matt Ryan should have an advantage most weeks schematically. But we've seen it in years past when opposing secondaries suffocate the Colts' wideouts. You can draw up the greatest show on chalkboard or whatever, dry erase board, and you're not going to be able to execute it to the complete you know degree that, that you want to. Um, separation, separation. I mean, think about when the starters were out there. Now I'm just going through the box score. The big play you had, the semi-big play that you had in the passing game, you know, obviously you had a check down to Hines. You had Granson just kind of a little dump for whatever it was, six yards or something. The big play was to Pittman. It was a screen. Matt Rowell, yes, I guess two big plays to Pittman. One was a screen. The other one was kind of when Matt Ryan, like, kept the play alive a little bit within the pocket and Pittman mm-hmm. kind of broke off and you're able to catch it a little bit after or a little bit off script, frankly, there. Um, so, yeah, just winning one-on-ones, an obvious issue right now. And, you know, Frank Reich admitted as much yesterday of that is something we need to continue to work on is just the physicality with press coverage, the Colts struggle. I agree. Next question is from Gordon. Huge fan of your stuff. Thank you, Gordon. Appreciate that. Huge Colts fan from Philly. Wow. That's a pretty bold uh, yeah. statement to me. At least uh, hopefully people in Philly don't see that. Well, morning with Carson Wentz. Maybe you all can do it together. <laughs> couple questions. Uh, do you think Matt Pryor is going to cut it at left tackle? So I'll let you answer that one first, and I'll give you the next one. Yeah, I mean, I know Pryor gave up the sack. I, was the holding penalty on the sack? Yes. 
Yeah, that was boy, the bad luck. If you're gonna if you're gonna screw up, just screw up a whole lot, I guess, on one on one play. You know, I, I'm anxious to see Pryor this weekend. You know, I, I think or this week, you know, I think a little bit more of a power rush. You know, speed rush guys are something that I feel like um there are some questions about as well. So just seeing variety of rushers I think is I think it's important um for him to to get um I mean, define cut it. I, I, I probably need to see a little bit more. Um, do I think he can be in serviceable? Yeah, sure. But again, serviceable with a little bit more of a statute quarterback. If you're not winning outside, does serviceable all of a sudden get exposed a yeah. little bit more than a quick rhythm QB that's, you know, have wideouts that can win on a routine basis? Um, I do think prior in the run game is pretty, pretty good. Gordon says that he sees him and just doesn't feel like uh, he will be good enough. The next question he has is about Jelani Woods, and he said he looks like he could develop into something solid and reliable. How has he been at camp so far? Thank you. Yeah, and appreciate the questions, Gordon. Um, as I was mentioning earlier with Woods, it's not been like, you know, he's lost and there's pre-snap issues and people are yelling at him constantly. He hasn't been targeted too much, and there's been some drops. But I Saturday was huge for him. Saturday was such an important day for him. I thought both catches were contested. The diving grab, him going to the ground, and then the ball in the end zone that Ellinger threw up to him. Uh, really good for for um, Mr. Woods. Gary's question is, hey, Kevin, appreciate the content as always. Maybe this is hard to evaluate at this stage of camp, but haven't heard much about Quinton and who I consider a top five on the Colts roster, what say you? Yeah, I, Gary, to be fair, I mean, it's you almost don't even watch Quentin Nelson. It's just like <laughs> you expect him, and he is taking care of his work, and I don't notice that much pressure from the interior you know, pocket or things like that. Um, and he's been solid. There's been one-on-ones with DeForest Buckner that, that you really point to. And I think that is something that I have to remind myself at training camp is, you do get so fixated on the passing offense because you don't go fully, fully live in the run game. So you don't know 100% of, you know, when Buckner tapped Jonathan Taylor there, do you think Buckner would have made the tackle the line of scrimmage? Or is Jonathan Taylor running through that tackle Mm -hmm. and now he's out in the open field? You Mm -hmm. you just don't truly know because guys aren't allowed to finish the play and, and make those tackles there. So Nelson, yeah. Nelson, yeah, he wasn't happy with my question, was he? No. What do you think, Kevin? Um, my wording to him last Thursday was, are you a fan, I think, of playing in the preseason? Which is really a rather generic question to ask, and it's a question we ask numerous players. Um, and I would be willing to bet um, that there are several Colts players that have said, yeah, I don't need much preseason action. Now, in very Quentin fashion. Uh, what type of question is that? I mean, yeah, is how he responded to me, which is a great quote. So you know what, money, money quote that we got out of Quentin Nelson there, and uh, yeah, he was not, he was not pleased with that. And I recall, if I recall, he was also asked about you know the contract this situation. He said no comment. Have you heard anything that you're allowed to share on that front? Um, I have not heard anything on that front. It seems like there is some good leverage from both sides and yeah. I think there is a lot of leverage that both sides have in this debate um, 
Jim Mercy is obsessed. And I think if you're Chris Ballard, you look at your book situation, and you're like, oh, geez, you know, can we penny pinch just a little bit here? Um, so I think there is some leverage. Uh, yeah, I mean, Stephen Holder threw Quinn like the softball, the softball, and just being like, hey, I know you're not going to talk specifically about the contract, but, you know, what does it mean to play in Indianapolis? You know, I, I'm pretty sure he's dating someone like from the Indy area. It seems like, you know, he's got a Notre Dame crew, an Indy crew that he's friends with, like all of that. And Quinn's like, um, I'm not going to talk about my contract. <laughs> he didn't even want to go there. Yeah, and um, which, very like Quentin-esque too. Very Quentin-esque would be the proper way to describe it. <laughs> I don't like talking to you guys. I'm just here because I have to. That, that sums it up. So yeah, about three, what, three, four weeks left to see if they get a deal done before the start of the season. It's not, it's not like it's the only time they can get it done, but typically that's when you do that. Eight or nine questions left here. Next one comes from Jason. Any thoughts on the backup running back competition? Anyone making their case to make the 53-man roster? I think Philip Lindsay's your solid number three. I like Lindsay. I do too. And I don't know if I like him to the point where he needs a handful of carries every game. You know, I st- I look at Taylor as just a workhorse man. I-, I just think he's rare. I think he's different. I think you need to pound it with him. And obviously, I want those, t- you know, a lot of touches for Hines as well. But I think Lindsay's your three. I, I only kept, I did a 53 uh, man roster breakdown the other day, Eddie. You can check that out on 1075thefan.com. I'm only keeping three running backs. Put Deion Jackson or Tyshawn Williams on your practice squad and move on. I, I think you only need three. Agreed with you there. Um, I think Lindsay does help alleviate Taylor a little bit because, I mean, he is a former Pro Bowler guy and. He does not fumble the football. He hasn't fumbled yet in his NFL career. Really? Yeah. That is quite the stat. Gosh, he's got to have a ton of touches. Yeah. Uh, he he doesn't cough it up either, so those are two things. And then back to Jonathan Taylor, you know, he's such a young guy, and he's already taking care of his body at a next-level kind of mindset. Even in his second year last year, you heard him talk about it a lot. He's like, oh, I do yoga, I do this, I do that. And it's like the amount of I – want, I don't want to say – emphasis but like the or rehab or therapy or however you want to describe it that he puts in just to maintain his body at a fresh level i think that it's insane allows him to be in that rare breed yeah i've said this before when he's leaving wisconsin or they're getting back to madison after road trips you know instead of texting you know his boys and you know what party's at and okay you know i need to talk to this girl i need to talk to that girl he's like hey uh is there enough ice in the ice bath <laughs> yeah seriously um, 80, no, 800, gosh, man, this is where the math just gets to me, 622, 622 carries, I was going to add in the catches too, okay, so 81 catches, 703 total touches, no fumbles, we have really tested that degree today, we have, a lot of drops though, hmm, but yeah, there you go, this question comes from Drew, who has more wins this year as a starting quarterback, Jacoby Brissett or Carson Wentz? Oh my god! What a question! Such a loaded what question. A question, yeah, that is. Uh, obviously, a lot will be dependent on Deshaun Watson and this appeal, which, as of Monday at ten forty-seven a.m., we still have not gotten word on. Ah, uh, boy. I mean, it's got to be Brissett if Watson's going to miss the whole year, right? I would agree. Much better roster, much better situation. Yeah, tougher division though. Yes, I, I would agree. By the way, the Wince, uh, the viral video of the TV reporter. I haven't seen it yet. You haven't seen it? Oh my gosh, I'm shocked. 
Uh, I mean, this dude is just asking very fair questions to Carson Wentz, and gosh, people just are, how can you ask that, you know, the Washington president? We're going to take away his credential. Like, this is the problem with journalism. What did he ask Carson? He's just like, hey, you've been struggling in camp, you know, any, you know. And then, like, do you feel like this is your last shot after how things operate in Philly and Indy? Do you feel like this is your last shot? Totally fair questions. Totally fair. I've said this before. Carson Wentz has got to be the one of the few quarterbacks ever to get three chances to run a franchise before the age of 30. Philly, Indy, and now Washington. Yeah. Totally fair questions. God, it just pisses me off that people think it's just like, you know, softball spoon-fed central. I feel like when you don't ask those questions, then everybody's like, Why didn't you so ask soft. that question? That's yeah. so You know, whatever. All right, next one comes from Trenton. Hey, KB, general football question. I was watching Kentucky football open practice and wondered this, and with the bad Colts practice on the offense, it made me think about it again. How do we determine play calling in camp? Is it possible the bad days are days where they say, okay, Matt, the defense is going to call every play against you perfectly for what we are running. Let's see how you do. Does this happen at all? If so, how would you know? Yeah, that's a good question, Trenton. Um, I guess to answer your latter part, you don't totally know exactly what's being run. I think for the most part, the offense works on their things. The defense works on their things. Um, You know, a couple days ago, the Colts did a specific two-minute, four-minute drill to end practice, and it was the first-team offense versus the second-team defense, the first-team defense versus the second-team offense. You typically don't see that. The Colts like to go great on great, good on good. Iron sharpens iron, KB. Amen. Thank you, Chuck Pagano. Um, I think in that instance, you are working a little bit more specifically on, okay, let's set up our defense to look how we want it against the first-team offense and vice versa. Let's set up the second-team offense, more of a scout team look for that defense there. Um, and I'm curious to see if they will do that with the Lions. I, I don't think you'll do much, if any of that. Um, but that is an element of practice where you try to follow up with Frank Reich or somebody afterwards and be like, okay, was that specifically you trying to give them a specific look, things like that. Yep, here's another one for you. Soft tissue issue. Got to prevent those. Oh, God. this one is from logan hypothetical question (laughs) Uh, logan saying hypothetical question what do you think would happen first grover stewart lined up at running back rushing for a 21 yard or 20 yard touchdown or jonathan taylor lines up as nose tackle recording a sack do that again that's some creative, right? That's yeah, some creativity and a nice Logan, job, Logan. This is outstanding. One, one more time on that. What Grover do you think would happen first? Grover Stewart lined up at running back and rushed for a 20-yard touchdown, or Jonathan Taylor lined up as nose tackle or defensive tackle and recorded a sack? Man, I love this so much, and I want it to be Grover so bad. Just rumble and stumble. Grover's Big an Grove. athlete, dude. Big Grover. Grover can move. Got such a great southern draw. You know what? I think, as much as I hate to say it because I want it to be Grover, it, it's the sack one. Sacks can be fluky. You know, the quarterback trips and fall and you just pat their head, you get the sack. Or like Matt Ryan, you go down and prevent the, the yeah. contact and it's like, all right, closest defender. Yeah, that was Casper, you get it. That was a Peyton Manning impression, right? Yeah. Um, but man, you know what? I You would think, Eddie, if you think about this, 
better chance of like which guy to play the other position though. There's a better chance of a D lineman lining up at fullback yeah. in the game than there is the running back lining up at nose tackle. There's no chance of that. So, Logan, I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth. I just know this: I want the Grover Stewart one, and I want it now. I would have to say that Jonathan Taylor. I think you would, he's quick enough to get under the arms of an offensive lineman to where he could get to the quarterback easier, but that's just how I was thinking. And yeah, you know what? If he gets in there quick and then trips up the QB, boom. Yeah. Maybe we just found out our new, uh, figured out how to maximize Jonathan Taylor. <laughs> uh, Randall, no one is talking about interior defensive line depth. We drafted two guys on the interior. Also, Dio is likely going to play interior more often than not. What's the rotation look like right now? How does it project going forward? Losing Stallworth may be an overlooked uh, happenstance that could affect the way that we could run. Uh, people caught up in the big name edition, but I'm mi- mildly concerned with the role players stepping up and who those guys might be. You know, Randall, hat tip to you because this is a position battle that Chris Ballard has his eye on. Um, ask Chris Ballard on the opening day of camp, what position battles are you watching? He mentioned left tackle and he mentioned strong safety and the third one he threw in there was defensive tackle interior depth which i was like hmm, a defensive line interior depth is what i should say uh, i mean you saw how much the colts rotated on saturday they want to rotate eight guys in there and taylor stallworth was a really nice player oh, yeah. for him. last season he put up some really nice numbers kansas city does that sound right for where stallworth is now i was about to look that up but maybe i think he came from new orleans and he's in kansas city if i have that right but Dio Dangbo, Eric Johnson, Curtis Books, you know, Dio in there on the passing downs. And then R.J. McIntosh, I, I wanted to see a little bit more out of McIntosh on Saturday. He's number 96. I think he's flashed a bit during camp. Um, and I know, again, his discipline on the run wasn't great. He fought um, Odenbo, number 59. But I thought he had a – I think he had a sack. He had a nice rush there later in the game. And Cameron Klein again uh, on the edge there, so – I'm going to keep an eye on it. You know, I think when you look at the depth, I feel much better about the defensive line depth than the offensive line depth. I don't really know why Jason Spriggs was cut. I thought he was going to make the team. He was Hmm. playing some guard. Dennis Kelly's been banged up. Boy, I'd have to look it up, Eddie. I don't know if the Colts have a backup offensive lineman who started in the NFL. Healthy right now. Pinter. Kelly. Well, Well, Pinter's a starter. Penter oh, yeah. Penter starting at uh, right guard. I forgot. Has Jordan Murray started? Yeah, this is stuff that we just don't need to be looking up, frankly. Yeah, now this could go all, all the rest yeah. of the pod. Um, I, you I, I, next I'd question? Have to, I'd have to double check that, but, I mean, the backup offensive lineman, not a lot of experience there compared to, you know, last year when it was a Chris Reed and. Well, what, what about uh, Will Fries or Wesley French? Got the French fries. We, I know. God, I love French fries so much. Didn't Will Fry start last year? I don't think so. I think he just played like one snap. Or, or did he start that Cardinals game? Now that I'm thinking about it, everyone played in that Cardinals game mm-hmm. when everyone had COVID or whatever. Yeah. Um, for some reason, I feel like someone got hurt and then he went in that game. Yeah, he, he didn't start. Interesting. That's a nice little nugget that we just found there. Yeah. Could be wrong on that, but. All right, the next one comes from Brian. I don't know if this interview is uh, in reference to when Chris Ballard went on with Dan Dockage last week. I think it is. 
Uh, but he said this is his takeaway from the Ballard interview. He was getting a little frustrated by some of the questions and specifically hey, towards could, the end. This could be with us. You know, we had Ballard on a couple That's weeks true. ago. And we put it on the podcast. So Brian might be referencing it could Ballard be. on Kevin Query as well. Okay. It could be either one here. Uh, you know you're on the hot seat when you get frustrated by ask, uh, by being asked if you are on the hot seat. Would love to hear your thoughts on the pod. Would have loved to hear why the locker room had problems last year, especially since he is all about locker room guys. Yeah, he um, – yeah, I don't think he loved just like kind of staying on the same topic, those sorts of questions – uh, you know, Jake certainly pressed him late on your expectations for the season yeah. specifically. Yeah, that and, would make more sense. And he didn't love that. Uh, one thing I would disagree with him on, and this gets back into a debate we've had about starters and playing in the preseason, is the slow starts to seasons being so much quarterback-centric. Is that playing a part of it? Obviously, the revolving door of quarterbacks. Yes, it is. Um, Eddie, I'm going to try and find these numbers for you because I don't think I said them on last week's podcast. I mentioned them a little bit on our morning show. If you look at the slow starts, and again, not just week one base, I think to seasons as well, it extends much more outside of just offensively. Um, If you look at the defensive rankings, and I decided to divide them up into months, the defensive rankings of the Colts in September, October, November, December in the Ballard era. 22nd in points allowed in September. That ranking rises to 16th in October, 13th in November, 7th in December. So it's not like you are a bad defensive output all year long. You're average to better than average in the back half of the year, but you slow. You have a slow start in September. If you look at the record, the record's even a bigger contrast. You're 29th in record in the month of September in the Ballard era. October, you're 12th. November, you're 9th. December, you drop back to 17th. But basically, it's like, what I'm trying to figure out is the why behind all this, Eddie. Why does this team, on both sides of the ball, as those stats are pointed out, play poorly in September, and then get progressively better? It's a good question. So, you know, when I think about the why, the why, 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 part of me is like, okay, they don't play their starters a whole lot in the preseason, change things up, play them a little bit, and again, Frank Reich clearly is all in on this. At least he was on Saturday. It doesn't sound like he will be this Saturday. But he was. I mean, he played those 20 starters a lot. Yeah. Um. I like it. You know, you're trying to do something differently. You're trying to change the script of that of like, okay, can you get to the point where you you play better ball earlier in the year and then you just sustain it a little bit more? And who knows? Maybe you'll have a dip at the end of the year if you overexert yourself. But um, I think it's a smart thing to try and explore. And I credit the Colts for not being stubborn in this area. I think it's even more a little critical for the starters to play in the preseason because you have that week off between preseason game three and week one. So, there, I don't know, it's like a bye week, essentially, you get from the preseason to the regular season. So, you don't have that, you know, that even, that straight transition from preseason to week one. So, I think it's a little more important for those guys to get some more, an extra couple reps or an extra couple snaps for the starters in the preseason because you have that extra week of rest. You know, it's interesting you say that. The preseason finale is August 27th. That's a week from Saturday. 
your your uh, regular season opener September 11th. So that is 15 days in between those two games. I tend to think your line of thinking, Eddie, with that thought process. I've heard people counter and say, don't play the starters in the final preseason game because they don't play again for 15 days and you can't sustain whatever momentum or whatever yeah. you create. I that's uh, I can listen to both sides of it, and I'm not acting like this is gospel, but I think it's something that is smart to explore. Um, I look at it like this. The fact that you played your starters 20, 20 offensive snaps, I believe, and defensively is a little bit less than that. The fact that you played them 3-4 series in that game, now you have some takeaways and say, Maybe your sense of urgency with the offensive line ramps up a little bit this week in the joint practices because they didn't play as great. Maybe your sense of urgency with the receivers, not that I needed to see Saturday, but maybe that ramps up. And those are the things that I think are important. If you can create more urgency on guys, if you can – you know, shift your focus maybe to some other position groups, tight ends. Maybe they needed a jolt of confidence. Maybe they got a little bit of that on Saturday. Those are the things I think you point to and can be critical to addressing earlier, building confidence earlier, and just try and get off to a better start. We had Joe Wrights on our morning show, who obviously, Eddie, you were working with Mm -hmm. on Saturday. For those that don't know, love Joe. Joe Wrights, former Colt, is on the uh, radio analyst side of things during the preseason with Rick Venturi sliding in the TV booth. It's Matt Taylor, Joe Wrights, and Jeffrey Gorman on the radio call. Joe does an incredible job and is a terrific human being. Um, Joe and I disagreed on this. Joe talked about, you know, you can kind of get into the season and, and, you know, maybe you get to week three, week four, and if, you know, whiteout's still a problem, then you go out and make a move. Eddie, this team missed the playoffs by one game last year. Yep. This team missed winning the division by one game a few years ago. Games are precious. Time is precious in the NFL. You look at those first two games, you need those in your back pocket. Because week three, four, and five, it's Kansas City, Tennessee, and Denver. Denver on a short week. I'd like to try and get answers in August if I can. You know, get a little bit more intel into my football team in August and not have this isn't 162 games in baseball or 82 games in the NBA where you can make up for it. If you get behind the eight ball again, it might be too much to sneak out of. So I, I've I've gotten on a little bit of a especially when you consider here. the uh, the opponents in the first couple weeks of sure. the season. Eight-point favorite week one, the biggest of anybody in the NFL, and that is a road favorite. And I would t- I would scoop that up with the uh, the Houston Texans. You are taking the Texans there. Did I see Marlon Mack was doing a kick return? I don't know. I didn't see. I didn't get to see much football this weekend. Yeah, you were you're busy huffing and puffing your way up the uh, <laughs> up the steps. Uh, we just did Brian, right? Yeah. So let's go to Randall. Uh, a different Randall, I I hope. Not we get two Randall questions you know, in one pod. I know you should be very happy about this. I think we got what three more? Uh, yes, cool. including Randall. Okay. Hope you had a great summer, KB. Thank you, Randall. Fo- Same fo- you. Football is officially back. I was wondering what factor you think will determine who lines up opposite of Michael Pittman Jr. My thought is who can block the best and who is the best uh, will play the most snaps. Do you judge the number two, number three, and number four receivers on snaps? targets or production i can see a scenario where Doolin plays more snaps but pierce or campbell have more yards but Doolin would still be my personal number two because he's impacting more plays 
albeit more run plays, one would presume. Okay, let, let's stop there. Um, I think I get where he's going with this one. Um, Doolin, Pierce, Campbell. Let's break them all down individually, Eddie. Michael Pittman should not come off the field. He should play ninety. Uh, he should play one hundred percent. Whatever, ninety five percent. Whatever's yep you want. Let's go with um. If everyone's healthy, I still think Campbell gets the second most snaps. Um, his role would probably include the most targets because, to your point earlier, Eddie, I think when you get into game plans, you're game planning more for Campbell to get touches. Yep. Uh, maybe a screen. You know, maybe those crossers, those mesh stuff that mm-hmm. we've talked about before. Um, the other thing that I feel like is important is Pierce. I think he gets the third most snaps, but I don't know, man. I, I could see Doolin pushing. I mean, clearly on Saturday, it was Pierce over Doolin, clearly. But, I mean, there's been games where I feel like I've gone to the box score afterwards and I'm like, Ashton Doolin played 40 offensive snaps? <laughs> yeah. Whoa. Like, that's a huge number. And this is with T.Y. and Pascal. Um, so, I, if I had to rank targets, I'd probably rank it Campbell, Pierce, Doolin. Doolin's got some big playability. We've seen in mm-hmm. the NFL. We've seen in Grand Park a lot. And that's the thing that I think you're encouraged by with Pierce is Pierce has been really quiet um, in the team sessions, but Pierce's game can be one for 40. Mm-hmm. It can be one catch for 40 yards, and he changes the game. So that's the thing I think you like about Pierce is you have the threat, and it would be huge for this team if they could put that on tape early in the year of a big play down the field by Pierce because now all of a sudden then corners might sit a little bit back then can you involve him in some other route tree stuff as well? Um, so if I'm making a depth chart, it's probably how it looked on Saturday. Campbell, Pierce, Doolin, I would say in that order um, from a target standpoint as well. Wake Spike, have a friend who claims to be a Colts fan. <laughs> claims. <Okay. laughs> Anytime you start a question off with that, Eddie, I can only imagine what's, what's following. Yet ever since Manning declined, he's turned to say never in Monday morning quarterback. He's had such insightful as, quote, we should have taken Metcalf instead of Campbell. And after he missed most of the first two seasons, even upon wins, it's just lucky or the team got lucky. Would you guys qualify this as a toxic fan? If not, what is your definition of one? I'm all for being critical, but at what point does it go over to the dark side? <laughs> Nothing like. So is he going to, you think, splice out this audio and then show it to or make his buddy listen to it? Maybe. I love fandom. Fandom, baby. I absolutely love it. I, you know, Eddie, I think the great thing you love about fans and, and you feel this with, you know, the role that you have for our company and, and you see all types of it. Oh, yeah. All types of it. You see super glass half full. You see super glass half empty. You see doom and gloom. You see rose petals everywhere. You know, I mean, diehards, yeah. casual. Like, that's the beauty of fandom. Um, you know, I've been in sporting events where it's like when you boo, people yell at you for booing. Like, if I'm just expressing my passion, you know, like, do you always have to be happy or, you know, can you express displeasure when it, there is displeasure, all of that. Mm-hmm. I, boy, I don't know if I'm sniffing anywhere. It, I Fandom. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not taking sides here, baby. I love fandom. I bitch and moan about Notre Dame at times. 
I've done it. I've done it in that stadium. I've had old people yell at me. I've cussed back at them. It has not gone well. I've regretted it to a degree. But I'm a fan, baby. I'm not answering this either. <laughs> and that's me. Wake Spike. To I'm you, sorry. To your friend, your fans. You come at it from a little bit different side. Shake hands. Move on. Buy a beer. Buy a beer. Sit together. Get on the jumbo. Get on the kiss cam. There you go. You know, you only live once. Um, or partake in whatever extracurricular activities that you enjoy. Yeah, yeah easy now. Um, but yeah, I uh, I love fans. Last- Without, fa- I mean, that's what makes it so fun. Yeah. So, I, I I understand if like oh too negative, too negative, too negative. You know, we try to come at it on this podcast from a very honest, unbiased point of view. That's what you get with this pod. So I'd like to think you get a little bit of everything. Hell, it's why we start off every recap game pod with what did I like, what did I not like. It's never 60 minutes of rose petals, and it's never 60 minutes of horrific, horrific football. There's some good and bad of each. We bring it to you. Well said. Uh, last last question. This one comes from Matt. <clears throat> Have any of your conversations with Colts mentioned a target for carries for Jonathan Taylor this year? No way they run him into the dirt like they did last year, but what does that look like? Possibility for Hines and Pittman for 100 catches this year? Genuinely curious. This is interesting, and I think some fantasy owners would be curious about this as well. I like how you stare at me as I say that. Well, I, I am locked into Eddie Garrison's eyes right now. They are they are good-looking eyes, to be fair. How sweet. Um, okay, Jonathan Taylor in the NFL, Eddie, 232. Those are his carries totals as a rookie. That obviously was a little bit of a mixed bag based off his rookie role. And then 332 last season. That was every single game last year. I forgot he had that close contact with COVID his rookie year. At Wisconsin, 299, 307, and 320. Big numbers, especially when you're playing 14, 13, and 14 games. That's a workhorse right there. That's a workhorse. I don't get the impression that they have that they have consciously said to themselves, let's scale back on his carries in a significant way. Um, I think naturally it should be a little bit more of a balanced offense because I think Matt Ryan – will take advantage of some things in the past game a little bit more. We've talked about the Heinz usage as well. But you've got to ride him. You've got to ride him. He's your best football player, especially on the offensive side of the ball. And the fact that you give him the ball brings attention to him, and that theoretically should open up some things in the passing game as well. So I I think it's over 300 again. What do you think? I don't think I think it'll be close. I think he's going to hover. I'm trying to figure out. I'll go 304. I'm trying to look at last year or his rookie year. Once he like kind of solidified himself as the starter. I mean, what is three? I guess because we've added a game on the schedule. So let, let's do that math here. 304 divided by 17. I had to do a calculator for that one. That is a hair under 18 carries a game. If you're going to tell me Jonathan Taylor is going to average 18 carries a game, that does not sound like that much, right? Right. You know, you break it down by per quarter basis. I mean, it's four to five carries a quarter. I, 
you know, obviously some get some games you end in, you know, four minute situations and boom, he's he's running it a little bit more. Yeah. Um Yeah. I mean, he only had one, two, three, four, five. He only had six games last year over twenty carries. Again, that that twenty number to me is like that's a pretty rare number now in, in yeah. today's NFL. And obviously, sustaining that number over the course of seventeen games is a whole different story. And he had two over thirty. I think. I think a basic seventeen carry and outing makes sense to me. When you add up at the end of the year, it, it, it's a big number. Um, I feel like we're just like looking up all these numbers off the fly. I'm going to look up one last one before we... Uh, yeah, that's why I said he would be close to like around 300. I think about 18 carries a game is where I would pencil him at because they are wanting to get Naheem Hines involved more. And, the, and one of the main ways you do that is by passing. And you're looking for a big leap in Pittman. Hopefully you have Paris for another year. So that's another weapon I think they're going to have at their dis- hopefully at their disposal that results in more pass attempts. Therefore, A plus A, A plus B equals C, and C being less carries for Jonathan Taylor. This is pretty wild, Eddie, when you break it down. And I've mentioned this before about Taylor. He had 500 more rushing yards than anyone else in the NFL last year, yep. which is just an astronomical number. His carry number is interesting. Najee Harris and him, 17 games each, 25 more carries for Jonathan Taylor than Najee Harris. Ezekiel Elliott played in 17 games. So did Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor had 95 more carries than Zeke. Played in the same amount of games. You got to remember Zeke was dealing with that knee injury last year too, so right. they kind of limited him. Which again, I, that's what I'm getting at is like Taylor is healthy enough to to take on and handle all of those carries. Joe Mixon um, was third on the carry list. That's 30 carries behind Taylor. Antonio Gibson was fourth. Now, Mixon and Gibson each missed a game. And Gibson... Say that five times fast. I know. I'm struggling here. 74 carries less. That is... Hmm. That is... uh, Boy, that's big, man. When you compare it like that, you probably think to yourself, should they dial back the carries? But... uh, Another guy that I like to look at when you talk about carries is Nick Chubb. Uh, he played thir- he played 14 games last year, had 228. But So if you average that out over the course of a 17-game schedule, that's 277, Gosh, which would have put him think, I mean, I guess fourth. they got him in Holland, but still. Interesting. I think Taylor should be over 300 carries. I just think he's the outlier. Obviously, Derrick Henry. We'd have to go way down the list on that one. But yeah. Henry finished 10th in eight games. Absurd. He averaged 27 carries a game last year in those eight games. Did he really? Yeah. Dude's a freak. He was on pace for 492 carries. Absolute freak. He's Eddie Garrison. I'm Kevin Bowen. We're going to have daily notebooks from Colts camp this week. That is Grand Park, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And then uh, for those that missed it, head to our website. I got a 53-man roster breakdown I did just before last preseason game. That's fresh on the website. And a notebook, again, recaps from every day at Grand Park. Uh, Everybody have a great week. He's Eddie Garrison. I'm Kevin Bowen signing off from Kevin's Corner. This has been Kevin Bowen. Thank you for listening to another edition of Kevin's Corner. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher for the best Colts and Pacers coverage.